our dean's classes throughout the summer, and I thought it would be good to focus on the Psalms. And today is a kind of introduction to the Psalms, and then we'll probably take specific Psalms uh, in the course of my other sessions uh, with you. So we're going to look at the other prayer book. This is the one that gave rise to the prayer book. And so we're looking at, if you'll notice, you know, all the prayers that are prayed in the Anglican Book of Prayer oftentimes have their phrases, their metaphors, and their sources in the Psalms. And so we're looking kind of at the original, at the source, at the ground of uh, our worship. Let's begin with prayer. Lord God, we pray for the many Adventers that are out and about around the country and on vacation and on mission trips. We pray, Lord, for uh, their safety, for their growth, uh, for their use in your kingdom work. We pray, Lord, for those in West Virginia that have experienced the, the devastating uh, floods and the loss of life, the loss of homes. Uh, we pray for our California neighbors as they suffer too these wild fires. We pray for the national and international global geopolitical situation with the upheaval that has been felt throughout the course of this week. Lord God, we bring all of these large matters to you as well as the personal matters of our life, and we ask that you would ground us and give us a sense of the kind of hope that we ought to have, the kind of concerns that we ought to share and that you would in particular bless this congregation, this household of faith. Help us, Lord, now as we open your word, um, as we think through how to get into the Psalms, and we ask for your blessing in doing so and for the guidance and the illumination of your Holy Spirit. So together we praise you in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The Psalms are an invitation to dialogue with God. They are, in a sense, the most incarnational book in the Bible because they are the inspired word of God as well as our words to God. And so we have a sense of the heart of God and we have a sense of our heart expression to God. And the Psalms are so valuable for teaching us how to pray. I don't know about you, but oftentimes if in prayer, I just sort of trail off into daydreaming. And the Psalms are something that guide me, help to focus me and what to pray for. The Psalms are fully of God and fully human. They reveal both the will of God and human will. They remind me, I think the Psalms remind me of, of an ocean. Uh, my son has been a, a lifeguard in Costa Rica for a number of years and just loves the ocean. I can't imagine him ever living anywhere far from the ocean. Uh, he was a lifeguard in San Diego before going to Costa Rica. And I see the ocean through his eyes faintly in a completely different way than I would have otherwise. There's one thing to walk along the shore of an ocean and to experience its beauty and to get a sense of its raw power and energy. It's another thing to become really familiar with uh, 
rip currents and surf and waves and tides. And uh, I sort of look at the Psalms a bit that way. Most of us, myself included, I think uh, kind of walk along the shore of the Psalms. We can appreciate its beauty. There's a certain disappointment in me as a pastor in relating to, um, to people who, and don't get me wrong on this, but who only kind of know Psalm 23. And you can't do better than Psalm 23. It's a beautiful, powerful psalm. But if our uh, exposure to the Psalms, if our grasp of its meaning, if our, if our sense of its uh, depth and beauty is limited to just a few Psalms, then I think we are somewhat impoverished spiritually. Uh, there's a juxtaposition of pain and praise in the Psalms. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of wishing that you could sort of categorize or catalog or fit the Psalms into kind of a, an easy index. Uh, most of us, I think, consult the Psalms the way we pick out a Hallmark greeting card. Uh, or we go to the medicine cabinet and pull out Tylenol. Uh, we want to be familiar with the Psalms, but I, it's a question of how you become engaged with the Psalms. Uh, and whether or not, I guess, we have the spiritual discipline to to get into them. Um, as an exercise, if you've got your Bibles or your devices, um, I'd like to just run really quickly, this is very quickly, just to sort of um, be a caption under the theme, uh, the first seven Psalms, to give you a sense for just the scope of the Psalms. It's one thing, the, the, this um, intermingling of lament and praise is kind of fascinating, I think. Uh, because the question is, is there a rhythm to the Psalms, or is it random? Have they just been sort of thrown together, or is there a powerful sort of integrated message of the Psalms? Psalm 1 and 2 introduce the whole Psalter. Psalm 1, as you know, is, is personal. Uh, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the steps of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And upon this law, he or she meditates day and night, like a tree rooted. That's a personal description that shows a contrasting understanding of life between the righteous and the wicked. And then Psalm 2 moves from the personal to the political to that sort of geopolitical scene. Psalm 2 begins, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break the chains, throw off these shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger. I have installed my king in Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. So personal, Psalm 1, highly political, Psalm 2, 
Psalm 2 will end up being quoted in the New Testament many, many times because it's a kind of messianic psalm. I have installed my king on the throne. Psalm 3, just looking very quickly at the first week of Psalms. Psalm 3 is a lament, a complaint. You know, I, I think psalm, the Psalms are not only good theology, but they're good therapy. Um, please don't get me wrong, because I think of the importance of medicine and taking the right drug that's been prescribed for you is exceedingly important. But I wonder if psychologically we might be more resilient if we were embedded in the Psalms. We might not need quite as many pills for certain concerns if we knew really how to pray the Psalms. Psalm 3, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver, my, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessings be on your people. I wonder what the effect would be if you prayed that psalm before you went off to sleep. I lie down in sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Now, that would be a spiritual discipline to decide to do this um, in the presence of God in the face of anxiety in the face of concerns, in the face of enemies. And enemies in the Psalms, it's an uncomfortable subject, especially for us in the West, in modernity. All this enemy talk that takes place in the Psalms. But let this enemy talk cover cancer. Let the enemy talk cover how one is maybe cruelly treated in the institutions that uh, Matthew was talking about. Let the enemy cover those uh, family members who don't want to talk to you anymore. Uh, let the enemy stand for that which opposes God's goodness in your life. And allow that to sort of sink in and pray it through. I'll say right up front, the imprecatory psalms are not that big a deal, I think, for the Christian. They seem to bother so many people, you know, and, and, and rightly so. Um, words that seem to be so filled with hate, but this is how I take those imprecatory psalms. I don't know if you ever do feel anger and maybe even rage. I know I do. And in the Psalter, I have instructions for what to do with that rage and how to vent it, how to express it. I do have someone who will listen to that anger and listen to that rage, and that's my God, my Lord. He'll listen to that anger, and that's where I need to vent it. 
I don't need to vent it to my wife. I don't need to vent it to my children. I don't need to vent it to my colleagues. I need to vent it in prayer to the Lord. And that's where the rage belongs. For the Lord is the only one who can really deal with it anyways. And there's so much realism that is in the scriptures and in the Psalms that rather than doing psalmectomies, which we tend to do, we excise out of the psalm that which we don't really like, and we sort of bypass it, and we're very selective. Our calls to worship are very selective in that regard, understandably. But instead, I think they still really work in the 21st century for the range of emotions that we feel and for the challenges that we face. Praying out our joy, praying out our pain, praying out our anger, praying out our praise. Psalm 4, answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Here's, this is a psalm of confidence, a prayer for help. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you have delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble. Don't sin. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. So Psalm 1 is personal, Psalm 2 is political, Psalm 3 is a lament of turning to the Lord, Psalm 4, a prayer of confidence that is prayed in the evening. And you know, in the Hebrew mind, the day began with sundown. The new day began with sundown. So the evening prayer precedes the morning prayer. And Psalm 5 is a morning prayer. You wake up th with this psalm. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I lay my requests before you and wait patiently. Psalm 6 is an urgent prayer for deliverance and for soul searching. It begins, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Now, do you get a sense as we read these psalms that this, this is deeper emotion and deeper anguish than you want to go? It's only on a rare instance that you would find yourself expressing this kind of emotion, this sense of pain, this, this sense of friction, this sense of tension. Now, the concern of how to line up the Psalms, uh, how to line up, how to put in sync the Psalms in our lives, A story that comes to my mind that helps me uh, to illustrate this, for me anyways, is uh, 
My last year at Wheaton College, four of us went on a canoe trip on the Vermilion River in Illinois. And we had never been on this river before, and we were using a girl's uh, Girl Scout guidebook for the Vermilion River. The Girl Scouts canoed down this river. So we were using that book as our guide. And the book described, we thought we were placed on the river where the book had placed us. And uh, we, uh, the Girl Scout guidebook talked about dangerous currents and rapids. And I mean, we wondered if maybe the water was low or something, but you know, it, it wasn't dangerous at all. And then the book described, uh, after those rapids, a waterfall. Well, we came to a kind of slight waterfall, nothing dangerous. They said we'd need the portage around it. We just went right on through. And then by the old factory, they said, you'll definitely have to get out of your canoes and walk around. And we went by what we thought was the old factory, and no problem at all. That night, we thumped our mail chests and trashed the Girl Scout guidebook uh, for being really wimpy when it came to this river. So the next day, we get in our canoes, and we face these rapids that are really dangerous, and one of our canoes capsizes with all the stuff in it. It's all soaked. We get, all, we get both out, dry off, get back in, and then we come to a waterfall and it's a really dangerous waterfall. And we have to stop and redo uh, and walk around it, portage. And then we come by an old factory, and we're about ready to go home. <laughs> we had placed the guidebook. We placed ourselves in the guidebook at a different place than reality. And what we were mocking, the Girl Scout guidebook was exactly right on. And I mean, that's analogous to me of the Psalms. That every Psalm in the Psalter, sooner or later, you will sense its residency with your life. And if not your life personally, the global church. I think one of the things that we need to do when we pray the Psalms is to pray it in the light of our brothers and sisters around the globe. So if that psalm doesn't seem to resonate with the intensity or the agony or the threat that you are experiencing, sisters and brothers know that somebody somewhere is experiencing the intensity of that psalm. And you pray it for the global church. You pray it for the household of faith. One of the things that helps us to get into the psalms is learning to pray the psalms unselfishly. That our immediate response is not, how does this speak to me? But how does this speak to us as the church? And praying the Psalms in the light of the household of faith. Do you realize that on any given Sunday here at the Advent, somebody is going through their deepest, darkest valley? And on any given Sunday at the Advent, somebody is going through the most blessed, joyful time of their life. And that's why the juxtaposition of the Psalms, I, th I think, is, is so important. 
that pain and praise, uh, joy uh, and doxology are, are right there with um, seemingly bitter complaint and lament. Uh, and there's only one or two lament psalms that don't end in doxology. So in a way, it's oftentimes a processing through the agony to get to the point of acknowledging in the midst of it all God's great goodness and his help. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. Right next door to the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. One of the most agonizing messianic psalms, right next to a really celebrated messianic psalm, Psalm 23. Psalm 102 begins, Hear my prayer, Lord, let my cry let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face when I am in distress. And then Psalm 103, praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He heals all our diseases, he forgives all our sins, and he crowns our life with love and compassion. And somehow that juxtaposition is really important, I think, for life. That's a reality. That's why not all the psalms are grouped into, okay, here's the lament psalms. There is a good, nice package for you. And here's the joy psalms. It's not meant to be that way because it wouldn't be realistic. The psalms are real. Now, I think the psalms ought to be our mother tongue. But to be honest, for most of us, they become our second language, hopefully. Uh, we were going to Costa Rica last summer to visit uh, Andrew and Janini, um, our middle son and his wife. And it was 4.30 in the morning. We're heading to the Birmingham airport. And I don't know, I must have been euphoric to be getting out of town and going and visit, visiting them. And I, I said to Virginia, I said, I can't imagine... Uh, wanting to go to Costa Rica with anybody but you. And she, without a moment's hesitation, 4.30 in the morning, quipped, I can. <laughs> Somebody who speaks Spanish. Uh, I would like the Psalms to be my mother tongue. Instead, it's kind of a painful process of acquiring a second language. I say it's our mother tongue because all this emotion and depth of understanding and relating to God is really who we are wired to become by the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But getting there does require, by God's grace, some spiritual discipline on our part to become familiar with those psalms so that they do resonate with our souls. That takes some work. And, you know, it, there's a lot that mitigates against this because when it comes to language, many of you are experts in certain spheres of language. Um, and this is part of uh, the other Tower of Babel reality for us because of our specialization. Some of you have a whole vocabulary for finance. You, you know a glossary of terms and a way of speaking that you could leave me in the dust in terms of understanding. Medicine, the academy, sciences. There's 
so many different languages represented by this group right here of specialty. So to acquire this, the language of the Psalms, is really like learning a new language. And yet I would argue it's one that does resonate with heart and mind, this, this language. It really is your mother tongue. I had a student in Toronto. I shared this in a message on Pentecost at the 5 o'clock service. A student um, back in the days when I taught in Toronto who... Uh, he and his family had gone to France to serve as missionaries. And they had made a vow that they would not speak a word of English after they crossed the ocean. For four years, the family, the kids, everybody only spoke French. He was in a class of mine on his sabbatical coming back from France. And he started to weep as he described to the class the impact that this had had on his family. He said, now our kids feel guilty for speaking English. We've come back to Canada and he said, we're a wreck <laughs> because we refused to speak our mother tongue for so long. So there is a dynamic here of our refusing to speak our mother tongue by sort of shelving the Psalms, not engaging them, not making them part of sort of the vocabulary of how we think and feel. Um, and I think that that's really a problem. Um, so think about the identifiable reasons why you or I might not be so inclined to get into the Psalms. partly because of the depth. You know, it's so much easier for us to talk sports or fashion than it is to, to express the Psalms. And on a practical note, uh, when you have your family gathered together for a dinner, pick a Psalm, a portion of a Psalm, a doxology, an expression of praise. Read that. Take 30 seconds to read that to the family and then pray together. That is a maybe, and that and many other types of things that would occur to you to do with the Psalms as a way of sort of getting into the Psalms, helping you to line up the Psalms, put them in sync with your life. We have lots of tools for doing and forgetting. We're using tools for doing and getting all the time, but we have very few tools for being and becoming. And the Psalms are a tool. They're a technology, if you think of it that way. A device that are essential for our communion with God and our community with one another. I was struggling trying to get a bolt that was attached under the kitchen basin. And the bolt was in a t such a tight spot that no wrench that I had was going to unloosen that bolt. And I was getting really frustrated trying with all the wrenches that I thought might work. So I went to Home Depot complaining 
uh, about the fact that I had a bolt that some crazy person had designed this uh, base and as such that you could never get it off with a normal wrench. And the Home Depot guy just smiled and said, well, of course not. What you need is a kitchen wrench. This is the Advent kitchen wrench. I didn't carry this around with me today. Um, it's a pole with, uh, you attach it to your bolt and you screw it like that and it comes off. I needed a kitchen wrench. Well, let the Psalms be your kitchen wrench. It's a tool, a tool that can be used in order to strengthen your communion with God and your community with one another. Gregory of Nyssa uh, used a metaphor to describe the Psalms and he called it God's soul carving tool. These instruments are not alike in shape, Gregory said, but all share the common purpose of carving our souls to the divine likeness. We have plenty of tools for doing and getting, Eugene Peterson writes, but we need the primary technology of the Psalms, essential tools for being and becoming human. In some sense, the Psalms are diagnostic. You read them and I think you become more self-aware. They're an MRI of the soul. They reveal whether or not the self is really sound and transparent before God, because I think that is part of the key of the Psalms. Let me close with an illustration and open up for any observations that, that you might have. Um, a fellow theologian by the name of John Feinberg wrote a book, Deceived by God, A Journey Through Suffering. His wife, Patricia, was diagnosed with Huntington's disease, a genetic uh, disorder that leads to the deterioration of brain cells. John Feinberg had devoted his life to understanding theology and suffering. His MDiv thesis was on the book of Job. His MTH uh, thesis was on God's sovereignty and human freedom. His uh, PhD was on the problem of evil. He had devoted more than a decade to understanding the word of God and the issue of suffering. When this diagnosis came down on his wife, he was totally devastated. He said, I was in the full throes of a religious crisis. He said, I didn't know anything. He said, I felt completely undone. He said, I had no wisdom to give to my wife. And in his book, Deceived by God, John Feinberg has the courage to describe, however, Patricia's reaction. Patricia left the doctor's office and got into the car, and she describes it this way. I was extremely shocked when this disease was diagnosed. I knew that when physical problems come, one should thank God for his presence and strength in the midst of those problems, rather than becoming bitter. And I knew that I should do that whether I felt like it or not. So that's what I did on the way home in the car. I also knew 1 Thessalonians 5.18, which says, give thanks in all circumstances 
for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. No matter what the circumstances, God is still there and he is in control of all that happens. He is faithful to his word. That is reason for thanksgiving and I continue to thank him each day. One of the first things Patricia did was that she wrote down every reference to do with God's strength in time of trouble. Psalm 46.1, I was especially com comforted by God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. And Patricia was able to hear the word of God in her pain. John Feinberg would have thought that his wife was really not very theologically mature. That somehow he had the theological knowledge and wisdom. And yet in this case, who truly was the wise one? Who was the one who had grasped the word of God, the truth of God? Patricia had. Patricia's own discipline of the Psalms, her understanding of God's word, her commitment. And to me, that's a beautiful story of what the Psalms can give to us by God's grace and the power of the, of the Psalms. We can be, with God's help and by his grace, with his resources, his tools for being and becoming, resilient in him. And so much of our theological work, and boy, we really don't want a talking head Christianity, do we? So much of that can go by the wayside when the reality of life confronts us. So I guess the question for us is, how do, you, how do the Psalms line up with your life? And is it possible to bring them into sync? Um, to see the value of the Psalms in nurturing us. A pastor friend wrote to me this past week, and, uh, and he, he said, uh, I remember you talking about the Psalms in class, and he said, uh, I'm wondering how, uh, how to do that better and how to counsel people in getting into the Psalms. I wrote back to him and said, you know, I've been trying to do this for years and years and years, and I said, I have learned one thing. You'll never master the Psalms. I'll never have the Psalms down the way I wish I had the, the Psalms down. And I say that to you so as to encourage you that we're all sort of continuing to begin and begin with the Psalms. And the longer you go, I think praying the Psalms, the more they will mean to you and the more important they will be in terms of strengthening and guiding your life. Uh, in the weeks that come, uh, in the weeks that come, I, I will, uh, we'll talk about various Psalms, specific Psalms, and how Jesus prayed the Psalms. They are his prayer book. They became the church's prayer book. They are our prayer book. And I think they're essential for our spirituality and for all of life. Anything that you'd like to share? Yes. Kathleen? I'm looking at, um, I, and I need you to help me with this. I'm looking at Psalm 139. It's, it's, such a it's one of my favorites. It's such a beautiful song. 
It starts out with, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I arise. And it just goes on in such beautiful expression. And then it goes on to say, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. And then it's just like if I'm saying that, you know, I'm expressing all this beauty to God and all that he's done. And then suddenly I jump out of the boat and I say, oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. And then it goes into this, you know, this stuff, this bloodthirsty stuff, you know. And then it gets back down on, you know, verse 20, uh, 23, search me, oh God, and know my heart. You know, I've just kind of kicked them to the curb here for a moment about you know it's just this psalmectomy you're talking about but uh, and i can see you know in saying this psalm that's the part i skip oh that you just slay the wicked and then i pick it back up as search me oh god so help me with that please and verse 22 i have nothing but hatred for them i count them my enemies Well, we are told, and Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, pray for those who persecute you and love your enemies. So there are aspects of the Psalms that uh, we cannot say now without hearing Jesus. The echoes of the Psalms are now uh, spoken in the context of Jesus' definite word to us of how to respond to enemies. But even so, Jesus says and acknowledges persecutors and enemies. And some of you, some of us, are not willing to even say we have an enemy. Perish the thought. Perish the thought that we would even wrestle with hatred. We don't want to admit that. We're not transparent about that. So let's give the psalm the credit of being honest with emotions, and they are being vented to God. And I think that's what's so important. And there are definitely wicked We can't read the word of God without acknowledging the fact that there are wicked people. And we too are wicked, saved by the grace of God. Uh, And so we never approach, I think, a wicked person thinking, well, we're so much better than you. We're thinking, well, we're just like you. And like we have discovered the mercy of God, you need the mercy of God. So let's not do the psalmectomy. Let's keep them in. Maybe for calls to worship, we can do the psalmectomy. Uh, along those same lines, and you speaking about the, our rage or whatever, uh, there's a recent YouTube of Bono and Eugene Pearson talking about the Psalms, and, and Eugene says, Lord, don't take away my cursing. Teach me to curse without cursing. And the same mm-hmm. thing, don't take away war, but teach me to war without warring. So we take it to God instead of out on each other. And... Uh, we offend less people and we kill less people, I guess right. you'd say. Good point. Oswaldo? Thank you, Doug. That was wonderful. Um, let's see how I put how I could put this. So the way I was taught about what the Bible is, <clears throat> is that the Bible is God's word, and God gives us propositions about himself. Uh, that's kind of limited, but that's what I was taught. Uh, the affirmations of the Bible are affirmations of God because the Bible is the Word of God. How are the Psalms the Word of God? Um, in that some of these affirmations, are they the affirmations of God? 
or are they the word of God in that they teach us through those affirmations to draw near to God? Does that make sense? Oswaldo's a colleague. He's just down the hall from me. <laughs> uh, uh, I have a feeling you've got a perspective that you could share there. No, <laughs> I'm wrestling with that one. Uh, just, okay. just how, you know, we, we think of the Word of God, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that is yeah. an affirmation. And we say it's inspired. <clears throat> it's the Word of God. It's a proposition about the character of God and so on. Um, and yet in the Psalms, we hear affirmations, like the one that, that we just heard about, that, uh, uh, is, is that the Word of God? You see, and I think a lot of believers wrestle with this. How do I read the Psalms and say, okay, this affirmation here is just to, is the word of God in the sense that it teaches me how to vent my anger towards God? Or is it the word of God in the sense that it's a proposition that makes a truth claim, a truth statement about the character of God? Right. And we're, we enter into a narrative, the narrative of God's story. Um, so it should not be confusing. It's not God's will to, for Abraham to be a polygamist. That was not part of God's will. It's part of a permission that takes place within that redemptive uh, narrative. Um, and so the Psalms are real. Not everything on the page in the Psalms is something that is the affirmation of the truth of God, but it is a description of the wrestling in God's world. Um, so the, I mean, what you don't want to do with the Psalms is take three nouns to describe three points of the Psalm. The beauty of the Psalm is that it actually engages in the whole person, in the emotions, in the psychology, as well as the theology. Uh, I thought of Zach's uh, uh, class downstairs, uh, and I, I kind of thought if you were all wise, you would have been in Zach's class. Um, but uh, Zach on worship war, um, and the struggle that we have because the devil doesn't want us to worship God, and that's the war and uh, the most meaningful things. And I thought of that in relationship to the Psalms today, and so often we want to feel our way into worship, but instead we need to worship our way into feelings. And the Psalms are a wonderful way of worshiping our way into feelings. Praying those psalms and letting our feelings catch up rather than depending on our feelings so that we feel like worshiping. If you're waiting for your feelings to worship, waiting for your feelings to even read the psalms, you're going to wait for a long time, and it's going to be very intermittent. But if you worship your way into feelings, I think that that's very powerful and psalm-like. Uh, Oswald, I haven't really answered your question, but... Uh, I just had a personal story that I wanted to share sure. when you were talking about the healing and the medicine. My first cousin was diagnosed two years ago with stage four cancer, having gone through treatments for 10 years. And, and when I called her two years ago, she lives in Virginia, and said, Jane, what are you now, you know, how are you going to handle this? She said, you know, and she has done this. She said, I will take the pill every day that the doctor is giving me. But she said, I'm going to live in the Psalms. 
And every time I talk to her, which is about once every two months or so, she'll say, I'm doing great, Jane. And I'm, I'm a Jane too, but I'm doing great. The Psalms are my healing, my peace. And she has found, and she is doing well. She has stage four breast cancer, no treatment, and she is in peace and healing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when I turned to the Psalms two years ago and realized the beauty and um, God's peace within them. I just wanted to share a personal. Amen, Jane. That's a wonderful statement. Um, and you can't, you can't be any wiser than that. Uh, in closing, just a few words from Psalm 9. Uh, Psalm 9, the beginning, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. That's a wonderful affirmation. We call ourselves into worship. I will do this. I will praise the Lord. I will sing of your mercies. I will do that. That takes courage. That takes resilience. That takes a discipline in the spirit. By the grace of Christ, this is what we'll do. Amen? Amen. Amen.